Good morning, church. Good morning. It just kind of gets you going, doesn't it? It gets you ready to work out or something, but it's exciting. Our 40-day challenge and what God is doing, the way he's teaching us, preparing us for what God's preparing for us. And so I'm so glad you're here this morning. Welcome back to our challenge. Last week, we began this brand new series, and we said this. We said a lot of times people try to compartmentalize their faith, right? We want a little bit of God over here. We want a lot of work. We got family time. We got career. We got dreams. And God comes along and says, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't want to be a spoke on the wheel, okay? I want to be at the center, right? I don't want you to like, here's a spoke with my marriage and my kids and my career and my job, my money. And, and God's going, I want to be at the center because when I'm at the center, when this relationship with me is right, everything else begins to turn. Everything else begins to make sense. And I bring peace and joy into your marriage. I bring hope with your kids. I bring in your future and your finances. And everything begins to make sense when I'm at the center of your heart. So we said, for 40 days, we want to live like Jesus. For 40 days, we want to put God first in every decision that we make. And I'm so excited. I just, I've already hearing great reports from people about, this is what God's doing in my marriage. This is what God's doing at work. This is what's happening. And I'm like, wow, we're five days into it or six days into it. It's exciting to see what we do when all of a sudden we trust God. It impacts our lives and it impacts our stories. So here's the challenge. We know this. 40 days, as behavioral scientists will tell you, it's how you can start a habit or break a habit. But you also see in Scripture... And whether it's Noah or Moses or David or Jonah or Jesus, you see these people who experience this 40 days of preparation and then what God did on the other side. And so for all of us, we're saying every day start with Jesus, right? For 40 days, every day, spend time reading the Word, spend time praying, start with Jesus. But we also say make it personal. And I don't know what it is for you, but, but I encourage you, what are you praying for for 40 days? For 40 days, and maybe, maybe it's your marriage, <laughs> You're just praying, God, breathe fresh life. God, let me be the husband or, the, or the, you know, the wife that I'm called to be. Let me be in my marriage. You know, maybe for you it's baptism. Maybe for you it's missions. Maybe for you it's career. Maybe for you it's, it's a dream that God's already put on your heart and you've kind of put it off. And God's saying, no, I want you to pray about that. This is something I'm birthing in you. And so for 40 days, would you do that? And it's exciting. God impacts us. God changes us when we trust him. We put him first in our lives. Uh, last Monday night, you know, we began kind of this challenge from September 14th to October 24th. We'll have a big celebration on the 25th. But last Monday night, my daughters, I was telling them all, it's time to go to bed, right? It's time. And if you're a parent, you always know bedtime's crazy because, you know, they don't need a drink until it's bedtime, right? And then everybody needs a drink. And then, you know, everybody's got this. That. So, you know, I'm like, okay, it's time to go to bed. I'm trying to get them all in there. And then my daughter, six-year-old Kate, she goes, Dad, wait, I got to read my Bible because I'm taking that 40-day challenge, you know. I'm like, all right. She goes, I got the wristband. Look, Dad, you know. And I'm like, okay, yeah, go get your Bible. And so she was reading her Bible. And every night she's been reading it. And I'm thinking, if a six-year-old could do it, we can all do it, all right. You know, let's go, let's go. So I'm excited you're here today. I'm excited what God's teaching us. And for this series, I believe God's going to impact us in an incredible, incredible way. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4. Now, in our series, we're just walking through these few chapters, right? Matthew 4, 5, 6, and 7. And we're looking at Jesus. <laughs> we're saying we want to live like Jesus. That's our call, right? Romans 8, 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. So if that's the call in our life, the goal of our life is to look like Jesus, then well, let's look at Jesus. And we saw that Jesus, when he started his earthly ministry at the age of 30, he was baptized. And, and for some, we're saying, you know, maybe God's speaking to you about baptism. Maybe it's something you've never done. You've always kind of put it off. And yet God's saying, 
It's time to be baptized. Jesus was 30 when he was baptized, okay? So taking that step, he also did it at the beginning of his ministry, not the end. So taking that step. Now, after he was baptized, Matthew chapter 4 leads with this line. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert where he was tempted for 40 days, right? For 40 days. So he goes to the desert, he's tempted for 40 days. Now we said temptation's not a sin. A lot of times we think in our mind that temptation's a sin. Whenever a temptation comes up, we're like, oh, but you haven't sinned, right? Temptation is an opportunity for us to choose what is right, for us to follow God, for us to grow spiritual muscles, for us to say no to that temptation and yes to God. And so Jesus, for 40 days, he's tempted. And then he comes out of that, right? And pick up, and we're gonna be in verse 12 through 17, our text today, and look what it says. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison. Now this is John the Baptist. This is John the Baptist who was the forerunner to Christ, who's preparing the way. This isn't John the disciple. Uh, that, Jesus hasn't called his disciples yet. John was also his cousin. But John has been put in prison for preaching, for teaching the word. And Jesus, it says, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and he lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, let me stop right there, and let me just kind of try to paint a picture for you. If, you, if you've never been to Israel, it, you ought to go at some point. I'm just telling you, because the Bible comes to life. But, but Israel's about the size of New Jersey, and it's not real big. But in, down in the south is Jerusalem. And Jerusalem's where the big city, everything's kind of happening. There's the temple, you know, and all Jews three times a year come down to Jerusalem to go to the temple. So lots of stuff happening in Jerusalem. And then up north you have Capernaum. So the Jordan River kind of connects everything here. And the Jordan is where Jesus was baptized, where John the Baptist was doing baptisms. And so up in Capernaum, though, it's on the Sea of Galilee. So it says lake. It's also the sea called the Sea of Galilee. Big, big lake up there. And that's where Jesus goes to live in Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is where Peter's from. And Capernaum is beautiful. And so you just see the topography. You've got these kind of rolling hills around Capernaum. You have this lake. It's peaceful, big town, lots of people. So that's where Jesus did so much of his ministry. Now, when it talks about Zebulun and Naphtali, he's talking about two of the tribes. Remember when the children of Israel came out of the land of slavery and God took them into the promised land? God divided the land among the 12 tribes. And so you have Judah down there in the south. And so you see, you know, the tribe of Judah around Jerusalem. That's where they talk about Judah and Benjamin and the southern tribes. Then you have the 10 tribes of the north. Zebulun and Naphtali are two of those tribes. So that just kind of gives you a little perspective here. But it says in verse 14, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Now the prophet Isaiah, you go back many, many hundreds of years, right? So you go back to the book of Isaiah. If you open kind of the middle of your Bible, you'll probably end up in Isaiah. But Isaiah was this prophet. And God speaks through the prophets. God was preparing the way for the coming Messiah. And so this is from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. This was a prophecy written hundreds of years before Jesus. And it says, Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, that's the Jordan River, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And so all the way back in the Old Testament, God was preparing for the coming of the Messiah. And God knew, right? This is where Jesus is going to do the ministry. The light, and you think about the light just starting to shine and spreading out from this area, from Capernaum, down in Jerusalem, and all across the Middle East, all the way to us through the generations. This light. Do you realize back in the Old Testament, there's over 300 prophecies concerning the first coming of the Messiah. 
300 prophecies written hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus. And in Jesus Christ, all 300 prophecies are fulfilled. All 300. Now, the probability of that is astronomical, okay? I mean, just realistic. There's no way. But they're all fulfilled in Christ. And God is writing a story here. God bringing the Messiah for us. Now, look at this in verse 17. It says, from that time on. And I want you to kind of camp out on those words today, those four words. From that time on. In fact, would you say that with me? From that time on. Okay, that was kind of half-hearted. We needed a little bit better, okay? Ready? One, two, three. From that time on. Now think about that. After the 40 days, from that time on, wow, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So after these 40 days with God in the desert, right, from that time on, Jesus' message, Jesus proclaims, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, three things I want you to see. Number one is this. God had a purpose for Jesus, and God has a purpose for you. Now, a lot of times we'll go, well, of course God had a purpose for Jesus. Okay, I mean, we, we get that, right? Ever since the creation of the world, God knew in his sovereignty that man was going to sin, that man was going to blow it. And God was already redeeming mankind by preparing his son and sending his son. All of the Old Testament is looking forward to the coming of Jesus. Yes, we get that. All of the prophecies, all of this that was written in Isaiah and all these prophecies. Yes, we get that. But sometimes... We forget that God has a purpose for us. And God has a purpose for you. It's not an accident that you were born when you were born. It's not an accident that you were born where you were born. God put us in this day, in this time, in this generation for a reason, for a purpose. To bring glory to Him. That is our call. And a lot of times we forget that, right? But as you look back at your life, here's the fact. God has been preparing you for what God is preparing for you. God has been at work in your life, just as with Jesus, right? And all the prophecies leading up in this perfect time in history that God sends his son. This perfect time as the Romans had conquered much of the world, as the Jews were there, that God sends Jesus in this perfect time knowing that the gospel would spread throughout. God has put you and I on this earth for this time. And it's not an accident you have breath in your lungs. It's not an accident where you are. And the call in your life and the call in my life is to be faithful. God, I'm here for this reason. And God, I want to serve you. And God, I want to put you first. Not just 40 days, but God, from this time on. From this time on. I bet if you look back, I bet if you look back, you can see how God has been preparing you. I bet if you look back, you can, you can think about maybe you have parents or, or grandparents or great-grandparents who walked with the Lord and, and who prayed for you. You know, you have people that were like a pastor or you have a youth pastor or some place where you went to church before and God just was placing nuggets in your life saying, hey, I care about you. I love you. I'm inviting you in this relationship. I bet if you look back, you can just start to see how God has been at work in your life all the way, all the way, because God is faithful. God is faithful. Uh, I was talking with our campus pastor at South Nashville and Jason Hale. And, and Jason goes, Jeff, you got to hear this story. He said, there's a guy at South Nashville named Matt. And, and I know Matt and... and uh, he said, Matt was telling me this story about a year and a half ago, you did this sermon and you were talking about this devotional book, Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest, and how great that devotional book has been in your life and how much it's meant to you as you read. It's a daily devotional. And, and so Matt said, hey, I need a devotional book. And so Matt goes out to Lifeway, he buys this devotional book, and he comes home and he, he reads the, that day and he goes, 
Pastor Jeff must have lost it because this makes no sense. And, and then he realized that he had bought the old English version. Okay, you know, like, there's a contemporary version and he got the old, he's like, oh, you know, and it just is like, oh, okay. And so he takes and he throws the book in the back of his car in the trunk and he said, you know what, I'm going to take it back to Lifeway. I'll either just get a new devotional book or something like that. Well, so that was a year and a half ago. And so this past week, uh, Matt and his wife, they had a little disagreement. That happens sometimes, right? You know, and so had a little disagreement, and Matt's like, okay. And he goes out the garage. He's just trying to burn some steam off. And he starts to clean out the trunk of his car. And he's pulling stuff out, and he finds the book from a year and a half ago. He's like, it's still there. And he's like, I knew I should have returned this. You know, that was a year and a half ago, and I still have this book. And then he opens it up, and he goes, let me just see what it says for today. And he goes to the day, and he starts to read it. And he said, I'm standing in my garage, and I just start to tear up because it was like God was just writing this for me. And I go back into my wife, and I just say, I'm sorry. I love you. I care about you. And we bring our kids together. And he goes, God just broke me. And I just thought, wow, how amazing that a year and a half ago, God knew what I would need for this day. And so he said, you go get that and put it in the back of your car because you're going to need this a year and a half later. And you know, when you start to open your eyes and you look and you open your heart, you go, God is doing those things in my life all the time. And many times we're so busy and we miss it because we forget that God has a purpose for me. And it's more than about making money. And it's more than about being successful in this world. And it's more than all this, you know, just being on time for soccer. God has a plan and a purpose for his name and for his glory. And when we open our eyes, we go, oh, I see that. God loves you. And God has you where you are for a reason for a purpose. The second thing I want you to see out of this passage is this. Number two is this, is that Jesus had one message. One message that he was preaching. And you know what? You have a message that you're preaching. You have a message. Here's Jesus' message, verse 17. From that time on, right? From that time on, after these 40 days, I mean, here's the message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And that has been Jesus' message, and it has reverberated through the generations. Our life has been redeemed and restored because of that message. You know, very simple, repent. You know, you're going one way, you're living your life for yourself, it's about all the things that you want, and God, through His Holy Spirit, is drawing you back to the heart of the Father. And repentance comes when you turn, right? I'm living for myself, I'm living for my own things, and God is inviting me back, and I turn, repent, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near now the kingdom of heaven what's the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of heaven is wherever god dwells the kingdom of heaven is wherever god dwells so jesus says repent for the kingdom of heaven is near and i am right jesus's name literally means salvation you know so he's walking around he's like hi i'm salvation i'm salvation and the kingdom of heaven is near when jesus died on the cross for your sins and for my sins and he breathed his last he said it is finished and at that very moment, the temple veil that separated God from everybody else, the temple where God dwelled in the Holy of Holies, the temple veil was torn from the top to the bottom. God came near. And God has come near to you and to me. And Jesus preached this message faithfully. Just preached it over and over again. But you know what? You're preaching a message. And I'm preaching a message. Now you may say, oh, no, come on. I'm not a preacher. <laughs> you know, I don't even like crowds. I don't like any of that stuff. I'm not, you are preaching something with your life. What are you preaching? What are you saying is important to you? What is your message? If you were to boil it down, or if people were to look at you and just say, hey, this is what, you, this is what your life's communicating, what would it be? Would it be about, you know, success? Would it be about family? Would it be about, you know, kids? Would it be about 
cars? Would it be about houses? Would it be about sports? What would it be? Not that those things are bad things, but, but if you were to boil down whatever message you were, pre- if you were to put something on your tombstone one day, what would you want there? What are you communicating with your life? St. Francis of Assisi said this, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. <laughs> preach the gospel at all times. And when necessary, use words. Because your life and my life is communicating. Jesus was passionate from that time on. Boom. For the glory of God. And you and I, man, 40 days isn't just something we're going to end this series, move on to the next. It's putting a stake in the ground saying from that time on, for the glory of God. That my life would radiate Christ. That I would live like Jesus for his name. And his glory. Look at number three. Number three, I want you to see this. Jesus stayed faithful to God's call. Will you stay faithful to God's call in your life? You know, in verse 12, it says, when, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison. Now, I just got to say personally, right? If I'm going to be hearing this and God's sending me out there to preach and I'll be like, um, God, you know, John, he was kind of preaching the same deal here, and uh, he just got put in prison. Are you sure? You know, are you sure this is what I'm supposed to do? Uh, Jesus faced criticism. Jesus faced hardship. Uh, Jesus faced suffering. But he stayed faithful. And you and I have this call to be faithful. The fact is this. You could be in the center of God's will and still go through hard times. A lot of times we think, well, if I'm going through a difficult time, you know, God, do you see? God, do you know? And God's going, yeah, 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 yeah. Your call is to stay faithful. (laughs) Your call is to stay faithful. I'm doing something bigger. Hold on, I'm answering that prayer, and it's coming, but you stay faithful. Notice how Jesus, leaving Nazareth, and he moved up to Capernaum, Nazareth, where he spent, you know, 30 years, right? The family there, business there, everything. He moves up to Capernaum. Stay faithful. Different location, different surroundings. Stay faithful. I always love that old saying, bloom where you're planted, right? You know, wherever God puts you, your call is to be faithful. Circumstances are going to change. Locations are going to change. Things around you are going to change. But your call and my call is to stay faithful to Christ. It's to stay faithful to Him. I want you to see... Uh, Two of the most faithful people I know. Uh, they're amazing. They're two of my favorite people in the entire world. I just want you to hear a little bit of their story right now. I accepted Christ when I was six years old. I come from a very long uh, line of Christians. Well, of course, I grew up in church, so I've been involved all, all my life. We were in Amarillo seven years, and we were very involved with Paramount Baptist Church there. Uh, Before that, we were in uh, San Angelo. That was about three years, and we were very involved in church there, and then we moved to Oklahoma City, very involved there. Then we were in Corpus Christi, and we were very involved there. So every place we've been, we've been involved in serving in the church. And then uh, we moved to San Antonio, and the first Sunday we were there, we were made directors of a Sunday school department. So we served there in that capacity for about 25 years. Uh, He was on the deacon board there, and uh, he was greeter at the door, and uh, I was in the choir and worked with all ages. So we were just very, very involved. Uh, From San Antonio, we came to 
Brentwood, Tennessee. <laughs> and it was a difficult move. Very difficult. You know, to leave a church where you've been 40 years and lots of friends, lots of friends. And it's hard, but we feel like it's God's will is what for us to become involved in the church and to stay active in the church. And I think being faithful means to follow God's will in your life, and not ours, but His. <laughs> it's to be faithful to what God has called us to do. Whatever He's called us to do, then we want to do that, and that's real meaningful. Uh, I love those people because those are my parents, and uh, so, and they sit right back there. Uh, they're amazing, and my dad's 85. Uh, it's the new 70 today, so, um, he's, you know, and my mom's much younger, and uh, they are just awesome, and, and I love them. What I love so much about them is just their faithfulness, you know, through the generations, and, and the way that they've moved in all the places that they've been, and yet they've just said, God, we want to do your will. And they found a church, they get involved, and they just lock arms, and they stay faithful. And, and, and moving to the Nashville area, it, it was hard, you know? I mean, they were in San Antonio for 40 years. I mean, 40 years in the same house, 40 years at the same church, 40 years with the same friends. And then they moved up here, right? And it, it's, been a, it's been difficult, like my dad said, you know, it's been a challenge. But at the same time, it was it's just been awesome to watch them because they didn't just sit back and go, okay, well, you know, it's, I'm getting older. We're just going to kind of go and find a place and we'll be all right. They've jumped in. They're our oldest members at church, you know, and they've just come and they just say, we're going to jump in. They host a community group in their apartment at the, at the Heritage where they live. And they have an awesome community group. I mean, it's just amazing and it's growing. My mom, she invites more people to church all the time. She's like, hey, have you met so-and-so? And I'm like, uh, no, not yet. And she's like, well, why? And I'm like, well, <laughs> she's like, well, I invited them to church. I'm like, oh, okay. And she's like, well, come on, you need to pick it up. You're not inviting anybody. You're not inviting I'm like, okay, well, you know, I mean, it's just great. But I love that. And you know what I love too is that my kids see that. And they're seeing faithfulness. And they're seeing that through the generations and that you and I, we have that opportunity. If you're a grandparent here, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness because you're impacting generations. You are. And it's so easy, you know, to kind of think, well, I'm getting older. I don't know what to do. You know what? You just be faithful. And for all of us, it's the call just to be faithful. Be faithful and watch God work. I mean, they would have never dreamed the impact that they would have by just following God in so many lives. The author of Hebrews, he, he talks about this whole theme of faithfulness, I think, when you go over to Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, he says this. He says, therefore, let us, let us understand this. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. You know, guys, think about it in your life. Who are the faithful ones that have gone on before you? Who are the faithful ones that are up in heaven right now that are cheering you on? Maybe you have grandparents or great-grandparents or... Or maybe you have a mom or a dad and you miss them. But you know they're up there. You know they're cheering you on. And, and they had their day and they had their generation and they were called to be faithful back then. And, and you and I are called to be faithful today. And we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses that are saying, come on, you stay the course. Come on, invest in what matters. You get one shot, you get one opportunity. Therefore, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. 
You see, there's two different things there, right? You know, a lot of times we think it's just the sin that will keep us from being faithful. Oh, no, 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 no. There's things that hinder that are good things that keep us from being faithful. And sometimes we let the good override the best. Jim Collins wrote a business book called Good to Great, and he just said the first line, good is the enemy of great. Good is the enemy of great. And for all of us, we've got to take an inventory of our lives to say, hey, am I investing in good things, but they're not the best? Am I being faithful to good things, but boy, I'm missing out on what God's called me to do. Is there anything in your life that's holding you back? Is there anything in your life that's holding you back from being faithful to God? It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin. Now there is sin. And maybe today, boy, you're right on the cusp. And if you would just be gut level honest, maybe today there's an emotional affair that you've got going on in your heart. And you could tell, man, this is taking me down a bad path. But you don't know how to get out. Maybe it's alcoholism. Maybe it's pornography. I don't know. But I know this, that there's help. And don't just continue down that path. Please, please, please. As a church, come let us know. We've got a counselor on staff. We will pay for your first visit. We will help you in whatever way. As pastors, we will pray with you, pray for you. Don't go down that path. Because there's a God who says, I love you and I care about you. And I'm going to hold you even during that time. But listen, I've got big plans for you. I've got a purpose for you to accomplish. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily tangles. And let us run this race. What does he say there in chapter 12? He says, let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. He says, run with perseverance. It's not a sprint. It's not a just let's take off and go as fast as we can and then burn out and fade away. It's run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. That God has a race marked out for you. And it's your race. It's your race. Nobody else can be dad to your kids but you. Nobody else can do what God's called you to do but you. It's your race and you're running. See, what happens a lot of times though is this, right? We mistake activity for accomplishment. And people ask us, how are you doing? We just say, well, I'm busy. I'm busy, 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 busy. But, but are you really, are you accomplishing anything? We can get caught up in activity, activity, activity. But, but really, are we accomplishing what God has called us to do? And then look at verse 2. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. <laughs> it all comes back to Jesus, you guys. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. I was reading an article the other day, the U.S. Treasury. You know how they identify counterfeit bills? They don't spend all their time studying all the great counterfeit bills that were ever made. They spend their time studying the real bill. Because they know if they study the real bill, then they're going to be able to identify the counterfeit bills. That you and I look at what's real. I mean, Jesus, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. What is the focus of your life? What do you fix your eyes on? Where do you spend your time investing? That's what we're saying for 40 days. We wake up. We read God's word. We pray. We're fixing our eyes on Jesus because he is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the author of our faith, right? He draws us to the heart of God. We're going one way, repent, we turn back to God. He is the author, salvation comes in Christ and Christ alone, but he is also the perfecter. The discipleship, sanctification happens in Christ. It happens as we know the word, it happens as we focus on Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And then notice these next three words. I want you to see this, scorning its shame. You know, I think shame is what keeps so many people from being faithful. I think shame is what keeps so many of us from ever accomplishing the purpose God has for us. 
Because every time we start to get serious, right? Every time we start to put a stake in the ground and say, from this time on, and then Satan comes along and says, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you remember about, hmm, you remember about that? Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, you, you, you remember? You remember that one night? <laughs> Man, you blew it. You remember her? <laughs> you remember him? You remember that financial decision? You, you remember this? And all of a sudden, it's just like this shame, and this shame just comes down. And we're like, oh, yeah, 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 you're right. I can't put a stake in the ground. I've got to hold it for longer. I love that. Scorning its shame. And for you and I, listen, to go forward in Christ, to go forward in our marriage, to go forward in our relationships. Listen, we've got to push that behind us and say, get behind me, Satan. I am a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. Get behind me, Satan. I am more than a conqueror in Christ through him who loves me. Get behind me. God has called me and God has redeemed me and God has restored me. And from this time on, I'm going forward in him. I'm going forward in him. Scorning at shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men. Right? Being faithful is not easy. There's challenges that you face. Who, could, who endured this opposition from sinful men. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That you will not grow weary and give up. That you will not grow weary and walk away. God has called you, God has called me to be faithful. To be faithful, to be faithful, to be faithful. Are you being faithful? Are you? Are you being faithful? Whatever God's called you, are you being faithful? It was after World War II and Winston Churchill was invited to, to speak at the school outside of London. And, and Winston Churchill went there and the place is packed out, obviously, because this is the great Winston Churchill, right? And he led the people of England. They stood up against the Nazis, against overwhelming odds. And people couldn't wait to hear what Winston Churchill was going to say. They had all their paper and their notes. They were getting ready to write, 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 write because of all this wisdom. And, and you may know this, but the shortest speech in history is Winston Churchill stood up and he basically said this, never give up. Never give up. Never, never, never give up. He said a few other things and he just sat down. He's like, guys, come on. You stay faithful. You run the race marked out for you with perseverance. You hold on to God. You be the one in your family, in your community. You be the one in your generation that stands for God. And the impact is huge. You know, I look in the Old Testament, and there was a guy named David, right? And David, man, he just loved God, even from early on, you know. He loved God, loved God. Yeah, he made some mistakes. He made some mistakes. But at the end of his life, you know what? He was faithful. And it was said of David that he was known as a man after God's heart. Even after the mistakes. You see, your spouse, they know you're not perfect. They do. Your roommates, they know you're not perfect. It's not a newsflash to them, Right? But what they want is somebody who's faithful. What they want is somebody who's faithful, who's just going to love. I'm going to love you. I'm going to care about you through the good times, through the tough times. You know what? God just wants you to be faithful. And God, I made a commitment to you, and I'm going to live it out. I made a commitment to you, and I'm going to follow. Elegant David's son, Solomon. Solomon had every opportunity to succeed. Man, he had lots of money. He had lots of wealth. He had this great dad. He had this great history coming to him. And what did Solomon do? 
He didn't throw off everything that hinders. He didn't throw off the sin that so easily entangles. He got caught up in women. He got caught up in money. He got caught up in the things of this world. It was all the money became about him. And he forgot about giving back to God. And it was just more and more for me, for me, for me. And by the end of his life, he had drifted so far from God that the nation was split in two after he died. You're just thinking, oh, you missed it. You had this opportunity. And I pray in my life that I'll never have to look back and go, oh, I missed it. That I would just be faithful. I know I'm not going to be perfect. I know I'm going to make mistakes. But oh, that I'm faithful to my God. And I'm faithful to my family. And I'm faithful to his church. And I'm faithful to the call that he's given to me. The race marked out for me. Faithful. Day in, day out, faithful. The Grand Canyon. You know what? Colorado River. Day in, day out. Day in, day out. For you and I, are you faithful? See, here's the call to be faithful. You know why? Because God is faithful. God is faithful. God was drawing you to himself. God invited you into this relationship. And God said, you are mine forever. I know you're going to make mistakes. I know you're going to make Listen, you are mine. And I'm always going to love you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You are mine. And God has been faithful, hasn't he? Oh, hasn't he been faithful? And he has provided for us. He has taken care of us. He has blessed us. I mean, many of us, we're not worried about where our next meal's coming from, right? I mean, God just has lavished his goodness on us. It says even in 2 Timothy, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful because he can't disown himself. It's who he is. And so God's call for you and me is to be faithful because that's who God is. Jesus said one day in a parable, he said, one day you're going to hear these words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Isn't that what we long to hear? Good because of the integrity, because of grace that we've received in Christ, but faithful. God, I ran the race, marked out. I ran the race for you and for your glory. I love Lamentations chapter 3. It's so good. It says, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Guys, they're new every morning. That's why for 40 days we want to get up and spend time with the Lord every morning. God, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Do you know that kind of God? That's a God who loves you. That's a God who wants the best for you. That's a God who believes in you. And now are you faithful? Are you faithful? Maybe for some of you, you know, God's brought you here. You've moved here from... California, you moved here from Mississippi, you moved here, and you kind of look at your life, you go, okay, now what do I do? And God's just going, be faithful. Jump in, serve, make a difference. I remember some of you, you just look, and there's like challenges all around, and you're like, oh, I don't know how to do this, I don't know how to hang in there, and God's just saying, be faithful. Be faithful. Not just for 40 days, but be faithful. From that time on, this morning, would you put a stake in the ground? Maybe put a stake in the ground with your marriage. From this time on, Man, I'm going to love. I'm going to be the husband. I'm going to be the wife. I'm going to be the father. I'm going to be the mother that God's called me to be. I'm putting a stake in the ground from this time on, I'm going to be faithful. God with you, I'm going to be faithful. God in your church, I'm going to be faithful. God in my day and my generation, I'm going to be faithful from this time on. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. This is for you, nobody else, just you and God. Where are you today? If you were to look at your life, would you say, all right, I'm living a life that's faithful. I'm being faithful, my God. 
I'm being faithful to my spouse. I'm being faithful to my kids. I'm being faithful to his church. I'm being faithful to the relationships that he's put around me. I'm being faithful to work. I'm being faithful. That's God's call. Maybe today it's a day of repentance. Maybe you just look at your life and you go, man, I'm heading one way. And God, I could see there's some things in my life that, that are hindering my relationship with you. Maybe there's some things that are sin in my life. And God, today I just want to confess. I know it's not catching you by surprise, but, but God, I confess. And Father, I just want to turn from those and I want to come to you. Today, would you right where you sit, would you just say, God, thank you for being faithful to me. God, thank you for being faithful. As I look back at my life, God, I could see how you've provided. Times that you've protected me. Times that you've just put great people around me, God. Thank you for family, for friends. Thank you for churches in the past. God, thank you that you are faithful. And now, God, let me be faithful. So, Father, here we are, your disciples. And God, in this day, in this time, in this generation, God, I pray, I pray, I pray that we would focus on Christ. That we would fall more in love with Jesus every day. I pray that you would draw us close to your heart, God, that we could hear your heart beat. And I pray today, God, that we would be faithful. That generations from now would look back and just say, wow, thanks for being faithful. I know it wasn't easy, but you were faithful. God, thank you that you're faithful to us, God. Even when we blow it, when we mess up, God, you're there. God, your mercies are new every morning. I mean, every morning. God, you provide for us food and clothes and shelter and so much more and so father today we just put a stake in the ground from this time on from this time on we're going to be faithful